is episode number 51 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Scrooged on your Put Yourself Down for a Towel podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vos. So this is the last of our Christmas episodes. We did Christmas Vacation, which was the one you most wanted to see, one of the seminal classics. We did our listener voted for Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, and after a week off to watch some Parks and Rec, we're back with the film that I wanted to watch, uh, one of my favorite Christmas films, Scrooged. I'm really excited that we're doing something that you call your favorite, because there aren't very many of those that we do on the show. Um, yeah, I think Elf would probably be my favorite Christmas film, but I know you've seen that and you quite like it. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a few others that I do go to. Um, I mentioned the Alistair Sim version of Scrooge, which is wonderful. Disney's Christmas Carol is very nice, but it's it's so accessible because it's half an hour long. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks I quite enjoy because it, uh, it, it... Having watched it again this year with a more critical eye, the second half is really good. The first half is a little annoying. The second <laughs> half does, does redeem itself quite a lot. Okay. Um, but no, Scrooge is the one that I will pretty much watch every year. Basically, this and Home Alone 2 are the two Christmas films I will always want to watch. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay. Oh, Home Alone 2 is one of the few sequels that's better than the first. Huh. It's been so long since I've seen it, I think I'd have to rewatch them both to really know. Because when I think of Home Alone, I think of the first one because I think of Kevin and his house. Mm-hmm. And I, it takes me a few minutes to remember what happens in the second right. one. Right. It, it, the first one is a superb film and it does a lot good. The second one does stuff better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well now you're making me really want to go watch Home Alone, so <laughs> I might do that when we're done. Hmm. So, uh, Scrooge, how come you've not seen this as someone who loves Christmas so much? I'm not even sure that I really knew this movie existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's old. It's not quite no, as old as I not am. Not as old as, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as old as I am, but it's pretty old. I mean, when this came out, this would not have been a movie that I would have watched. I mean, this is not really a movie for kids. No. Um, so by the time I would have been old enough to be interested in this kind of movie, I wouldn't have been interested in this kind of movie, if that makes sense okay. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you exactly how, how old uh, Scrooge is. <laughs> Scrooged is a Christmas comedy from 1988. <gasps> <laughs> so old. Um, <laughs> some of these houses are almost 50 years old. It stars Bill Murray and Karen Allen and was directed by Richard Donner, who was director of Superman, The Goonies and Lethal Weapon. So we have seen him before. The film was a moderate success. It took $60 million on a $32 million budget, making it the 13th highest grossing film of 1988, although Die Hard is the highest grossing Christmas film of the same year. On its opening weekend, Scrooge was the number one film which took over from The Land Before Time, before it was then overtaken by The Naked Gun the following week and Twins the week after. Hmm. So an, an interesting run of films. Scrooged is the first leading role for Bill Murray since Ghostbusters, which was four years prior. This film lent on that fact with some of the marketing uh, was about him being back amongst the ghosts. It also features three of his brothers, John and Joel Murray, who play his brother and a guest at the dinner party with his brother. And Brian Doyle Murray is the person playing Frank's father. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. The, The Murrays and the Cusacks seem to be the... (laughs) <laughs> sort of modern Hollywood families. Except I can name the Cusacks and I could not name the Murrays. 
Well, but there were like five Cusacks in Gross Point Blank and a couple of the others. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, in this modernized adaptation of A Christmas Carol, Frank Cross is a selfish network president who is visited by three ghosts on Christmas Eve. So, Matthew... I'm pretty sure we all already know the answer to this, but how did you watch Scrooged? Uh, I own it, but it's on Sky Cinema, it's on Amazon, it's on Netflix. This time of year, it is everywhere, so excellent. Okay, it is not everywhere here yet, because I had to rent it on Amazon to watch oh. it. I'm a little bit bitter about that. <laughs> we talked two weeks ago about uh, A Christmas Carol. And the story of it and how we enjoy it and other adaptations we've seen. Um, did any of that lend to your expectation for this film? It did. I was expecting this to just be kind of a straightforward but funny adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. I really knew nothing about it other than, I mean, it was called Scrooge. So it was about the Christmas Carol and it had Bill Murray in it. So it must be funny, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what I expected. Yeah, this this is very much a Bill Murray vehicle for at least half the film. It is just giving him space to do his thing. Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> um, so Bill Murray, Karen Allen are the main two in this, but there are a, a lot of famous people. Again, as you tend to get with uh, comedies and with uh, star vehicles. So Carol Kane, Alfred Woodard... John Forsyth, John Glover, David Johansson, Robert Mitchum. Um, do you know any of these people? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I diligently looked every single one of these people up. And, I mean, we all know I have some experience with Bill Murray because we've talked about him on the show before. Mm. Uh, Karen Allen, the only other thing I know her from is Raiders. Yes, uh, that's fair. So Carol Kane, I I recognized her face, and then when I realized that she had been in The Princess Bride, I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, I know who she is. Liar! <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have seen her all over in other things, but I couldn't tell you where. Like, she's just got one of those faces that you see in the background of a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, the same is true with Alfred Woodard. I recognize her face, but not her name. She uh-huh. is someone that I have seen in a lot of places, but again, I would would not be able to tell you where. And even looking through the list, you know, I recognized her from being in an episode of some show or, you know, voicing a character in, in some other show. But I, I don't – she's not someone whose career I could follow. I just mm-hmm. recognize her as being someone I've seen. Did you watch uh, Luke Cage? No, haven't seen it yet. Okay, uh, she was in all of that as well because she had this strange thing that she was in Luke Cage, and she was in Captain America: Civil War, but as different characters. Right. I saw her listed as being in Captain America: Civil War, but I couldn't actually recall her character, and so I didn't want to say, "Oh yeah, I know her from that." Because <laughs> I mean, like I said, um, I know her face, but that's it. Yeah, you you might not remember it, but she at the opening of the movie it's got um robert downey jr giving a grant to everyone at mit or, or wherever um oh was she the mom of the she's the mom of the kid who died in sokovia yeah. okay yeah. yeah i do remember that yeah mm. um everybody else that you've listed john forsyth john glover robert mitchum didn't know their names didn't recognize the characters never seen their faces before <laughs> okay and uh, david johansson looked vaguely familiar but when i looked him up no idea Okay. They're all they're all famous if you've seen them in other things. 
So Robert Mitchum did a lot of um, <laughs> uh, sort of 50s and 60s westerns. Right. Quite a lot, but he's someone you again you'll see in in various things. Um, he's in Tombstone as the narrator, which is one of his yeah. big roles. Um, John Glover, you will recognise as we go through because I think we've got a couple more films of his on the list. But, but again, as a character actor, um, he was Lex Luthor's dad in Smallville. John Forsyth is not someone I recognise his face, but he is the eponymous Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Oh, okay. The voice in the box. And and he then played that role in the Charlie's Angels films as well, the first of which starred Bill Murray. Okay. Interesting. Mm. All right. Still didn't know the name, didn't recognize yeah. his face because there's there's a couple of times I can hear voice. it. <laughs> <laughs> and we, as I say, we've talked about Christmas Carol, so we know sort of other versions that you've seen and your experience of this as a story. So uh Scrooge, did you enjoy it? Matthew, I'm so sorry. I did not enjoy this movie at all. Okay, I I have to ask because there was uh, there was a little bit of neg- negativity towards it, and the fact there was not much uh, feedback for us in general, so no one really commented on it. Did any of that feed into your both expectations and and your reaction as you watched it? No. Because uh, when you Pinky promise. that go out, I don't look at them. <laughs> Honestly, I do not click on them and read the nested responses until okay. I've seen the movie. So okay. I had no idea what anybody else had said about this. And as far as I know, nobody used the, the hashtag. So there was nothing that would have immediately popped up in my feed. So no, um, this was just straight up me sitting down to watch this movie and a really hard time getting through it. And it frustrated me, and I just did not enjoy it. It was okay. not entertaining. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I hate Can it you... when this happens. <laughs> so uh, it's been really good talking to everyone, and we'll see you next week for you know, something else. Um, I don't care anymore. No. Can Aww. you talk a bit to what you didn't like about it, please? Uh, okay, that's... All of the film, the start till the end. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> basically. Um, this is one of the movies that I think I've watched this year in this project that has been very, very dated, and and, and that's happened a few times before. We've come across some mm-hmm. other very, very dated movies, and some of them I have absolutely hated, like Raiders, and others not so much, like Christmas Vacation. You know, that's a dated 80s movie, and I could whistle past some of those, you know, more problematic bits. This movie is super dated for the 80s, and it's in a way that I just can't whistle past. It's Some of it is in that male gazy spectrum, but a lot of it is physical violence as comedy, gun humor as comedy, or gun violence as comedy, and... I guess given where we are today in 2017, I was having a really, really hard time with that. And it just kind of, it made me sit back and completely disengage with the movie and and not even really be able to try and look at some of it objectively because we've got Bobcat Goldthwait just showing up with a shotgun ready to shoot his <laughs> boss because he got mm-hmm. fired. You know, And that's not funny. I do understand that that probably was really funny in 1988, but I just can't look at that and laugh at it today. 
And so if we hadn't had so much of that, I mean, because that was a running thread all the way through the movie was this gun violence. And then we also had, you know, the ghost of Christmas present beating the ever loving crap out of Frank, (laughs) you know, and it was supposed to be funny because it's Carol Kane dressed up as a fairy and she's got this really (laughs) high pitched little girl voice and she's just beating him up, you know, and it should be funny, but it just wasn't. I, I think they're all incredibly fair points. Um, the, with comedy particularly, the joke will only ever have its impact the first time. They're rarely as funny the second time, and then it becomes dated because you would have seen some of this sort of stuff elsewhere. You will look back on this and think of it as something of its time. So, yes, I can absolutely see that. I, and then I had just it was a really really annoying bit of continuity for me and like i actually stopped the movie and like pulled out my calculator and was like no wait a minute i did i really did because i am that person so when the ghost of christmas past takes frank to his past he takes him back to 1955 and they very explicitly say he is four years old Mm -hmm. and then they jump forwards to 1968 now, if you do the math, in 1968, he would only be 17, which means he would still be in high school. But no, he's very clearly been working at this network for years and years because he's at his work Christmas party. And it just, you know, if a movie can't even get that right whenever they're leaning so heavily on those dates, I was just, I was like, no, I can't. Like, I can't even try to like this movie because they didn't even try to get it right. I, uh, I'm i not sure I can quite whistle past it, but I think the, the particularly the problem there is they've cast Bill Murray to play a younger version of himself. Like, he looked old in Ghostbusters, <laughs> you know. <laughs> if if it had been some actual kid who looked a bit younger, because I could, I could see an argument where he's actually an intern working there over Christmas to get some experience in the TV industry. Yeah. Something like that. But you're right, he looks like Bill Murray. They've not really done anything there to age him downwards. In fact, if this had been 1978, it would have been much easier. If this had been 1973, it would have been much easier to believe. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I mean, it's not just specifically the age, though. It's the story they're making him play. Because if it had been an intern and they had specified that it was an intern, I probably could have whistled past it a little bit. But he was clearly working and then this is also the same time that he met claire and so she was clearly older than 17 too and and so it just it threw me out a little bit that they mm. couldn't but yeah I mean, they, all they used had the same to actress do, there yeah all they had to do was change 1968 and make it 1973 that's all mm. they had to do and i know it's such a tiny little nitpicky thing but when i was already so mad at the movie these tiny little nitpicky things just snowball. The okay, okay, so one of the things you mentioned there was the gun violence, um, mm-hmm. which yeah, this is this is the sort of thing you will see in older films. Um, is that particularly a modern sensibility um, and the modern culture about guns coming into it? I think so, honestly. Okay. Yeah, because I'll be and that, honest, and that's with you, absolutely the... fine. Like we can contri- critique old things for this, but yeah, the the gun humor when he pulled out his gun and was shooting this movie's version of Marley, um, that didn't bother me. But Mm. it was when the employee came back in with the intent of shooting up his boss because he got fired that I was instantly like, no, this isn't funny. Yeah. So I think that does have more to do with my 
2017, very modern. These are the things that are actually happening in the world. And so to me, they're not funny in a movie. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are, are those the two big critiques you'd have outside of it as the way it does a Christmas Carol? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about how this does a Christmas Carol as an adaptation. Because, okay. um, like I said, half of this is a Bill Murray vehicle. It's giving him space to be a bit shouty, a bit mean, because that's what he was doing. Like, as much as people uh, think he's wonderful in Ghostbusters, his characters are quite an ass. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's, he's I said on my it. list of really terrible human beings that I happen to like. Yeah. Like, I said it in the Ghostbusters episode, and this is doing very much the same part. And he will do this part again and again for... At least another decade, if not up until, you know, 2017, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the other half of it is doing the Christmas Carol story. The the tale that we know. Um, but is absolutely modernizing it and making a few changes to it. One, one of which is making it a comedy. They are using the structure of a Christmas Carol to do actual jokes. Mm-hmm. Some of which is the ghost of Christmas present beating him up. Which is a little excessive, but is also very comic violence. It was. I think it was just, they leaned on it too heavily. If it had just been one or two instances, it would have been fine. But it was one right after the other. I mean, we're talking like Three Stooges level physical comedy. Yeah. And it was just too much. So, what are the big changes? Big changes are, it's modern. It's funny. He's a lot younger. So that's that's probably the biggest change for me, that this is now not someone who's in his 60s or 70s, it's someone who's in his 30s or 40s going through this. Right. How does it work for you making those changes and telling Christmas Carol in this way? So I'm going to caveat what I'm going to say just a little bit. Okay. So for me, this does not work as a Christmas Carol adaptation, but I hadn't really tried to think specifically about why. And so okay. I don't know that I can say it's because they made him younger or, hey, it's because they modernized it. I don't know that there's any one specific thing that makes it not work for me. It just doesn't work as a whole. I think that this movie has the potential to have been a good movie if it was not trying to be an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Okay. I think Bill Murray could have done a good movie. If they weren't trying to keep themselves constrained to this moral, moralizing story that The Christmas Carol is. Because at the end of the day, they didn't do that story very well. I had complained when we watched Muppet Christmas Carol about how they changed that adaptation by making Scrooge hate Christmas in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because that devalued the lessons that he learned and how he changed at the end. This adaptation does that even worse in a mm-hmm. different way because, I mean, obviously he loved Christmas as a four-year-old. You know, he was he was a cute little four-year-old when they showed us him in 1955. Mm. But the way that the three spirits took him through these stories and the emotion that he showed while watching these vignettes from his life were not believable in that they would make him change his whole life so the change that he went through at the end seemed to come out of nowhere now because i know this is an adaptation of a christmas carol i know 
why he theoretically changed his heart and did all of these things. But I didn't actually see that change happen on screen. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a very different stance on it because for me this utterly works as an adaptation because of the changes they've made to it. Okay. The comedy, perhaps not so. There are moments in this that are genuinely funny that I, I think are really well done. Um, and I, I like them because of that. So that helps me because I can enjoy it in that on that terms. And because I saw this as, you know, when I was probably in my teens, maybe a bit younger. And, and so I enjoyed it for the slapstick and the, the comic nature without thinking, oh, it's an employee with a shotgun. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, by making him younger, th- there is almost a fundamental problem with uh, A Christmas Carol that because he's so old, he doesn't have that much time to change and to do stuff with it. But by making him younger, he can make a difference. And and he has such a, a, a much greater position of power, he can moralize and talk about it at the end in this. Mm-hmm. But the other thing they can do is actually incorporate the romance a lot more. Because in A Christmas Carol, there was no sense of him getting back together with Belle. I think they even do have a thing about her getting married and becoming a housewife. But it never goes any further. But in this, we can have him seeing Karen Allen and and both seeing her through um, the the ghost of Christmas past uh, and seeing how his relationship broke down with her, but then him going and visiting her in the present and spending time with her and seeing what she's doing. And, And then when you eventually see her in the future and she is now utterly horrible and is quoting things that he's said it's it's something that the who is who does it i think the ghost of christmas present does that to him in in the original story his his line about aren't there workhouses and prisons for these orphans to go to Mm -hmm. um and she quotes that line back to him and he starts realizing his awfulness and when you see um claire claire Claire, when you see Claire quoting his words back about getting rid of the hangers-on, and and he sees that his words to her have utterly changed her and taken away everything he loved about her because of the way he was and the way he behaved. He didn't mean for that to happen. But see, I don't believe that that would ever happen. The way that they set her up and the way that we saw her from the beginning of their relationship to the present day... There is no future in which Claire would turn into what the Ghost of Christmas Future showed him. It's just not possible. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Okay. I I can buy it because it is showing him the, you know, worst vision of the future. I would have bought it if we hadn't had him and her reconnect in the present. We've already seen him call her, her show up, be super sweet. We've seen where she works now. And mm-hmm. so I don't buy that she goes from this homeless outreach worker to this snobby, stuck-up, rich woman in the span of, what, 10 more years? When she hasn't been in his life at all for the last 15? Mm-hmm. Now, if we hadn't seen that, if we were seeing – if they had done it slightly differently where it would be believable that she that he would impact her life – then maybe I could believe it. Okay. It just, yeah, it no, just didn't work for me, that's all. It, it didn't work for you. It, I think it works for me in that way of, yeah, 
his his impact and his awfulness has polluted her and he's now seeing a, a very tangible impact of his actions even more so than the the tiny tiny tim equivalent in this who remains mute and goes to a some sort of institute mm-hmm. it's very sad but it's not as sad as Bob Cratchit, who has no money and cannot feed his family well, and suddenly there is a stool with a crutch in the corner. Right. And an empty place at the table. The yeah. the bit with Claire, for me, works better. Um, but then it works even better that he's put in a coffin as he's being cremated. Like, yeah, that's going to scare the bejesus out of you. Oh, that was so dark. <laughs> I did not yeah. expect that. I I was very uncomfortable <laughs> watching that mm. scene. It was definitely an adaptive choice. I'll say that. But I like, going going back to Claire, I like that she is very much a counterpoint to him in the present. That she is trying to be good for people and he's trying to take her away from that, despite the fact that he actually loves her for it. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that he's always enjoyed, his thing about still trying to save the world. Right. Mm. But what I, what really sells it for me is... That generally, yeah, he has never enjoyed Christmas because he never got a Christmas as a child, clearly. Um, And had not necessarily a hard life growing up, but it was... He was taught in a very certain way by his father to behave in a certain way. Um, And that's how he has then grown up. And he's always been work, 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 and, and no one gives you anything, so you've got to take as much as you can to then suddenly see Christmas and and to experience Christmas through the years. So he sees his young Christmas and how much he enjoyed it um, or or would have enjoyed it had his father not given him feel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) To see the Christmas where he gives her knives, which is such a terrible present. And you can see him trying to explain it to the ghost of Christmas past. And he's like, yeah, that that is a terrible present. So he understands that, yes, he's been bad at this all his life. Oh, knives. Oh, oh lots of knives. I got her these great knives. They're, they're super sharp. I, I know. They don't Jinsu make knives. Jinsu knives. I don't cut really cans. Sharp. You can cut a tin can as easily as a tomato. And then some of the one of the great things that they keep in is him going to his uh, in this it's his brothers in in the original tale it's his nephew um, going to the dinner party and seeing them playing parlor games. Now I love that in the book. Um, he sees the parlor games and he joins in. Although he's uh, non corporeal, he's very ethereal. But he actively wants to play with them. And when he sees them at the end, he says, "Oh, let's do. I want to come to your dinner party, and I definitely want to play games with you." took them all to Gilligan's Island. Exactly. Oh, oh, this oh, is oh, so oh, easy. You gotta know this. SS Macro. No. And he does. He he can say, oh, I would be good at this and I would actively enjoy it. And then he sees the fact that he was going to give him a towel, he's got a VCR, um, and that his brother does care for him. It's not all an act. It's not all he wants something from him. He is genuinely raising a glass to him. You invite him to Christmas dinner every year, and every year he's too busy to come. And when are you going to learn? Well, never. He's, he's my brother. A toast. To my brother Frank. I wish he was here. Were, Goofy. 
So it goes through that same sequence of him understanding it and then scaring him utterly into changing and seeing where his behavior will take him. And then we come to the finale where he uh, he and Elliot take over the um, performance of A Christmas Carol, which looks like a really bad TV show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it genuinely, I, I think it's intentional. It looks awful. Um, but he is having fun with everyone and talking about how, you know, what are you people doing, uh, watching a TV show on Christmas Eve? What sort of idiot would schedule a live show on Christmas Eve? So what are you doing watching television on Christmas Eve? They're paying your salary, you ass! What what kind of a, of a, a rat bastard idiot would schedule a live show on a Christmas Eve? Only you, Frank. (laughs) <laughs> you know, a week ago, I'd have kicked your butt right out of the building. But you know something? He's absolutely right. Uh, and all of this. And he's having fun with everyone. But then he goes into his long, moralizing speech about how he gets it now. He understands. Christmas Eve, you act a little nicer. You share a little more. You give someone a sandwich or a blanket and you say, here, have this thing. You have to do something. You have to take a chance. You do have to get involved. There are people that are having having trouble making their miracle happen. There are people that don't have enough to eat. There are people that are cold. You can go out and say hello to these people. You can take an old blanket out of the closet and say, here, you can make them a sandwich and say, oh, by the way, here. I get it now. And, and doing that at that time makes you think oh this is wonderful i want to do it again and i want to do it again and i want to help people and him suddenly understanding the the difference of whilst yes he's become successful and he's enjoyed the power of his behavior there is a much better way to go by by sharing by giving by making mankind his business and if you if you give then you then it can happen then the miracle can happen to you it's not just the poor and the hungry. It's, it's everybody who's got to have this miracle. And it can happen tonight for all of you. If you believe in this spirit thing, you, you, the miracle will happen. And then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says Christmas is once a year and it's a fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life. And it can happen to you. I, don't, I believe in it now. I believe it's going to happen to me now. I'm ready for it. And uh, it's great. It's a good feeling. It's it's really better than I've felt in a long time. And I love that whole moralizing. I love the fact the child who has been mute comes up to him and and says, God bless us, everyone. I, I, I'm ready. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Did I forget something, big man? God blesses everyone. Like that brings a tear to my eye pretty much every time. Aww. It is it is just it, it brings it all together. You can see the journey he's gone in, and because he's still a young person, he can actually make a change. And you see that his his change there is suddenly having an impact on everyone else. And everyone else is happy because of it. Okay, but here's the thing. I don't see the journey that caused the change. Okay. And I think that's fundamentally where my issue lies with this story. Because 
what we get essentially is we get him seeing his father give him veal as a four-year-old. We see him meet Claire and kind of mess that up. Mm. We see him go to his brothers in the present and he just, just, you know, they're playing this parlor game and he wants to have fun with them. But we, we miss out on all of the, like in the original story, he gets upset because all of his friends are making fun of him and then his family member stands up for him. We don't get any of that. It's all just mm. fun and games. So there's nothing there other than, oh, well, they have fun. Maybe I can have fun, too. And I know the answer. You're stupid. Why don't you know the answer? And then we move into the the Ghost of Christmas future, and he doesn't see anything other than he's dead and he's being cremated. In the original story, he sees people have stolen his belongings because his belongings are the only thing of value or worth that he ever had. And so people are giving them, you know, or selling them after his death. They're glad that he died so that they can get something from Mm. him because he didn't give anybody anything Mm -hmm. in life, you know? And then we do see that um, his brother is upset and, or I guess nephew in the original story is upset. We don't get any of that emotional arc in this adaptation, all we see is there's a coffin that's about to be cremated. His brother and his sis- sister-in-law are crying. I don't know why the sister-in-law was crying there. because They don't actually speak here. And then we get Bill Murray crying and screaming, don't let them burn me. And so clearly he's afraid of fire. We don't know why. And then they throw him in the coffin, which is just really freaking dark. And then all of a sudden he's magically transformed. And so I don't see that journey. I, I don't understand what made his heart change. Because when he saw Grace's little boy in the future, you know, he just kind of looked like, oh, this is sad. Mm. This is unfortunate. And then he doesn't say anything. They immediately go to his death. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, I'm actually alive and this is done. And then he goes and commandeers the show and is like, oh, I know that Christmas is supposed to be wonderful now and I'm sorry I did all of this. And I just, it left me feeling a lack of emotion. Okay. The the bit with his brother, you do get some of the emotional. Um, when his brother talks about, and he says, no, he's my brother. Of course I invite him. I, I think he does like, I, I raise a toast to him. I wish he was here. It's just, yeah. th- there is a nice bit of emotion there. But then we go to what is probably the most emotional bit of the Christmas present sequence where he sees Herman from the homeless shelter who is now dead. Herman! Herman! Coffee's on me. Come here. Jesus, give me a happy ending here, Herm. Come on, man. And and there is this tangible thing of this is someone you could have helped. At that point in time, you have just seen him, but now he's gone. And and this is something you cannot do anything with. And I think there's something in that that has an impact. I would definitely agree about the, the Tiny Tim analogue. I think it works in the present, but that future sequence does not work as well. I would have appreciated seeing more. The, the, the same thing again. He is now not there and the impact on his mother. Right. If, if they had mm. done that, I think I would. I would feel a little bit different. Not a lot, but a mm-hmm. little bit different. It it just felt 
I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it it felt a bit contrived. Okay. The way that they did it. I think in the original, the Tiny Tim story is so integral to everything that Scrooge yeah. experiences. And mm-hmm. we don't get that at all in this adaptation. No. So one of the, uh, not other changes, but there's now this sort of B plot about Elliot being fired for speaking up to him. And, and it's it's a useful thing in the early sequence to show not only is this guy a bit scary crazy in what he's putting on TV and the way he in, inflicts his power over people, um, but he is prepared to fire him on Christmas Eve and then to, not on Christmas Eve, on the 23rd of December, and then to cancel his Christmas bonus as well. So that's that kind of works. It shows us about his horribleness. But that man is not Bob Cratchit. His secretary is technically Bob Cratchit. Yes. Um, but then you have the thing of Elliot losing the bottle of uh, whiskey and then giving money to giving blood to get some money, but then the money being stolen from him and his wife leaving him and, and just you know, becoming destitute over the course of one day and then coming back and attacking him with a shotgun. I I get the impression that didn't work for you at all. It didn't, especially the way they used him at the end Mm -hmm. to hijack and basically terrify everybody while Frank is trying to be this big hero. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there was this, like, cognitive dissonance there because we've Mm -hmm. got... Frank trying to tell everybody that he's changed and that he's sorry that he's been treating people horribly, especially on Christmas. But we've got Elliot holding the control room hostage and making them keep him on TV with a shotgun. And those two things just don't go together. And it completely takes away the spirit of what we're supposed to be getting from this story. Yeah, again, it's a very 80s uh, SNL type of way of getting into it, uh, of dealing with that problem. Because there is a problem of why aren't they just stopping broadcasting? So you have to have someone doing that. If you're going to be putting out your message in that way, you have to be doing, uh, right. finding a way to make it happen. Now, there is a way of make it happen that he calls in a favor or threatens someone or even turns nice and gives someone, you know, a, a bonus to, to get it. Something. Yeah. But they do it through slapstick. And, I mean, it's Bobcat Goldthwait, so of course it's <laughs> going to be done in, in slapstick, honestly. Yeah. Um, there is a point with the Elliot subplot that I always think they're going to do something different. And it never quite comes to fruition. I watch it every time, hoping it's going to be different, but it never is. <laughs> okay. Um, when Elliot turns up with the shotgun, the ghost of Christmas present, nope, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, is creeping up behind him through the TV monitors. It's it's uh, not the best puppet, but it's quite a, a scary thing with this skeleton claw coming out behind him. Yes. And then he bursts in with a shotgun and, and starts shooting up the place and scaring uh, Bill Murray at that point. I would have quite liked it had it been that technically Elliot was the ghost of Christmas future. Or, he, or Ghost Christmas Future doesn't need to do anything because he gets so scared of of what his behavior is taking him to in this place that it's taking him to. And he manages to show Elliot that he's changed. 
So either we we consider it that we don't need the Ghost of Christmas Future or the the terror that the Ghost of Christmas Future brings, which which I said a couple of weeks ago is a great twist to the story. It's not just that he he sees and he learns the moral lesson. He is made to be utterly terrified of what will happen if he doesn't change. It hammers it home and, and makes sure there's no, you know, the next year he sort of goes back to his old ways or something. Right. Had it then turned that actually Elliot does that to him, I would have really enjoyed that way of telling the story. I can see that. Mm. But it never quite gets there. One year they will do that and I'll be really pleased. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this 20, 30 something year old movie is, is just yeah. going to change just for you. Well, you never know. <laughs> in a In a universe of infinite possibilities. Absolutely. Yes. So that's that's why I like it. I love the moralizing at the end. I think it, it just brings it all together for me. Um, I, like I said, I love the Christmas Carol story anyway. And I like the changes. And I, I think this brings it to a good place of that. Christmas is a time to be the best version of yourself. I agree with you there. I really like the Christmas Carol. And I like several adaptations that we've seen. This one just fell flat for me. So Okay. I can, however, pick a few moments that I liked. Mm, I'd like you to. Um, I, I was greatly amused uh, when his old boss shows up and Frank pulls out his gun and starts shooting at him. And every time he pulls the trigger, he's actually yelling, blam, blammo, blam, bam. Would you excuse me? I might just have a little drink. I don't mind you hitting me, Frank, but take it easy on the Bacardi. <laughs> I was cracking up at that because, I mean, yeah. that's such a Bill Murray thing to do. Yeah. And I also actually quite liked Put a Little Love in Your Heart at the end. It's mm. not a bad song, and it was a nice way to wrap everything up. It's a great song. And, and it made me... This being such a favorite made the fact that they then used it in the Flash musical just better. Just I'm oh, so happy okay. about that. It's it's the song they all sing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where where you get um John Barrowman doing his dad dancing bit. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like it. Um, did we hit on all of your favorite moments or was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, no. So obviously the moralizing I love and uh, put a little love in your heart I love. Mm-hmm. There is uh, There are a number of moments that make me genuinely laugh. Um, I like the ghost of Christmas present her, I'm a little muddled. Because <laughs> that's a reference to Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I, I like things like that. I love the opening... Um, the night the reindeer died. Seven o'clock. Psycho sees Santa's workshop. Eat this. And only Lee Majors can stop them. The night the reindeer died. <laughs> oh my God, I was so confused about what was happening there. <laughs> and then Lee Majors came on screen and I was like, yeah. mm, this is a movie in the movie, right? <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> and Lee... You're being a real good boy this year. Yes, you sure have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there is the moment when he's been cremated 
and he's he, like you say, he's screaming, "Don't let them burn me! I don't want to burn! I've changed all of this." And then he comes out of the uh, suddenly the the lift doors part, and he comes out, and he just goes, "I'm alive!" And the Alleluia chorus comes in. And I love when films do that, when they have this grand orchestral music out of nowhere. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Vacation, when he plugs the lights in and mm-hmm. the music swells. Um, Die Hard, a year ago, we talked about it when the vault doors open and suddenly the score comes in and you can see what it means to Alan Vickman. And it's absolutely the hero shot. Right. I love I love the way they do it in this because he, it gives him the silence of, I'm alive. So we're waiting for him to give the line. It's not just the fact that he's alive. It's the fact that he knows it. I want to live! I want to live! I'm alive! Holy shit, what a break! I'm at work! Oh God, it's the sun! I never going to see the sun again! <laughs> okay. Great. That is a good, good comedic moment for me. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you really like it. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about with Scrooge? Well, this is our last Christmas film for this year. Um, we obviously did a listener poll, and uh, we each picked the, the two on the list that we most wanted to watch. Are there any other Christmas films that we've not covered that you want to? Um, or anything else on the list that you're particularly looking forward to next year? Well, now that I know Christmas with the Cranks is a Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis movie, I am super into it, and I really want to do that one next year. <laughs> it's great. It, it is absolutely great. It just watching it again, I went, ooh, ooh, this first half is going to be rough when Mandy gets to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also assuming that we'll probably do A Christmas Story and maybe Nightmare Before Christmas next year, unless we do Nightmare Before Christmas for Halloween could go in either place i think see i'd always put it as a christmas film but part of that's because it's got a story and christmas is integral to that story so right well i've i've heard it both ways obviously Mm. and and i know there's it's a debate like a serious debate between fans of this movie but the most i guess logical response to the question that i've ever heard is that it is a halloween movie because it is about someone from Halloween discovering Christmas. Okay. And that makes sense to me. I mean, I haven't watched the whole movie, but that kind of makes sense to me. So I don't know when we'll do it or if we'll ever do it, but it's on the list. Okay. And we can we can put it back in for the listener vote next year. Yeah. And I don't think it's on the list, but I've also never seen the Polar Express. Ah. Nor have I. <laughs> Okay. I'm not even sure it's actually a Christmas film. I don't know either. It always shows on TV at Christmas. I assume it is. I assume it's about a kid going to see Father Christmas. I don't know. Tom Hanks mm. is in it. That's all I know. Yeah. And then Josh Groban sings that song. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> literally song. all I know about it. There's a okay. train. Tom Hanks plays the conductor, and Josh Groban sings that Believe song. Okay. That's it. Gremlins Two is set at Christmas. I'm not sure it has a Christmas story to it, but... I did watch Gremlins this year. Hmm. Um, You've seen Batman Returns, haven't you? Oh, yes. 
That's a good alternative Christmas film. Uh, we we do also have on the list uh, the the 1951 Scrooge that I keep referencing. So perhaps we could have a a classic Christmas Carol adaptation. Christmas Carol adaptation. Hmm. Maybe. I we would shall say. See. Yeah. Well, we have enough of a break between now and then that it might be okay. But my track record of liking really old movies is not great, and so I would really really hate to like just completely be negative about a movie that you really really like again uh but it's alistair sim though and he is wonderful i don't know who that is he is a very very good classic actor he was in i think an inspector calls and he's very good in that as well this is me drawing on my english lit studies oh okay yeah well that's why i don't know who these people are yeah Fortunately, we have had uh, some nice feedback about a couple of the Christmas episodes that we've done, or a couple of recent episodes anyway, at Generosity, about the Muppet Christmas Carol said that her six-year-old son says he loves it because of the happy celebration and the singing when they are all walking through the town. That's a really good reason to love it. Yeah. I think that was what my nephew said, and he's the same age, so yeah. Nice. That was a reason to like something. Uh, my, My friend, Cy, he actually told me that they watch the Muppet Christmas Carol whilst decorating the Christmas tree every year as a tradition. Oh, that's a nice tradition. Mm. Particularly as they now have uh, young children growing up, so I'm sure they will uh, learn that tradition and it'll become part of their Christmas as well. Yeah. And then my co-host on Across the Arrowverse, Catherine, listened to our Star Trek episode with uh, Jen, Generosity. She said, OMG, The Last Unicorn, huge nostalgia. I forgot how much I liked that, if what I think it is is what I remember watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that parenthetical. And it's it's really strange. It was referenced the other day on um, another movie podcast called Movie Crush, where they talk about favourite films. Um I think it was Roman Mars's Jaws episode. They just referenced it coming out about the same time in the same year. Okay. But it's really strange to hear, oh, yeah, that was that thing Joan was telling us about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to have your thoughts and feedback featured on the show, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can also email us at a podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. We give access to outtakes, exclusive content, extra recordings, and information about upcoming shows. So if you want to find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to look up our other shows on our homepage, eloquentgushing.com, and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. And we'll be back next year with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll return to where it all began with Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And yeah, buddy, I'm crazy. Crazy like a fox. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.